Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So let's just test the levels now with a joke. People who... <laughs> yeah, um, no, I'll, I'll give you a joke, Dad. Um, just off the top of my head, people who say ketamine should be banned should get off their high horse. Very good, Ruth. Very good. <laughs> That's just one I made up, you know, on mm, the fly. On the fly. Well, uh, let's give Gary Delaney a little bit of credit for that. Meanwhile, Ruth, the big question this week is, I got very excited because Janet, my wife, your mother, said to me, you've got a parcel at home when I was in London, came home, got to my desk where she'd put the parcel for me, and I found a leopard print set ears, the bow tie fancy dress. So basically, it's a sort of hairband. And it's, it's just it's it's um just it's a fancy, fancy dress it's fancy, fancy dress, dress ears basically mm. i doubt uh, the other things will be getting one the ears will i think yeah, leopard skin why have i got that <laughs> i don't need it for anything a jungle themed social tonight oh it's tonight yes oh it's a good job yes. i brought it with me then indeed yeah so it's jungle themed is that in any way cultural appropriation? You to the jungle, to the animals, <laughs> to the animals. Uh, I don't think they're, they're that annoyed that you know. Mm. I didn't actually skin an animal. I mean, I did see it on my bill. I know um, that was an accident. It's the um, Amazon thing. Mm. Is I use your Amazon Prime because I've got to watch my TV some, somewhere, and you know. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, and it's that one-click thing. They make it. Too, they've made it too easy to buy things yeah. now. Mm. All of it. Too, way too easy. too easy, contactless. Yeah. And then it's the same thing, it's too easy to tweet stuff, that's why people make stupid mistakes. But um, I like the idea that, because I was on the phone to mum, and she was like, oh, have you ordered um, some like, le- like fancy dress or whatever? And she's like, oh, I am glad, because I did think your dad might have lost it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the levels. Let's, should we start? Yeah, let's. The other thing you've been doing that I know about is begging for drinks in Wetherspoons. <laughs> I don't like the, the term begging. I well, think it is that's begging, a... isn't it? You put it on the internet and said... It's, a, it's something that a lot... I don't think you've just not seen it because you... I'm your only reference point for mm. teenagers, really. Um, and a, people do it all the time. They'll just send a picture of their table number or whatever at Spoons and then people can send you whatever... And do you have to, because I didn't send you anything, I did threaten to come over and have a drink with you in uh, Weatherspoons, which wouldn't, would have been very welcome, but I didn't send you anything because I don't have the Weatherspoons app. Yeah, you need the, you've got to have the app mm. to send But them. I gather some of these people that you disparagingly call my cronies actually bought you a drink. Very, very nice of Very, very nice of everyone. Had a, like, one of my friends sent drinks and then every, everyone else was like 
people who'd said someone said something really nice they were like oh a drink to pay you back for like all the good work you do on the podcast and stuff it was very very nice actually Mm. And some of them were my listeners. I think they were um, pretty much solely your listeners. <laughs> any any of my friends don't well, have the money. <laughs> well, bless them. That's, that's yeah, very really, sweet. Thank them a lot. Nice. Now, the big worry at the moment for all of us is coronavirus. Give me your take on it. It's really hard, actually. I was in a seminar um, yesterday, and he just said uh, the seminar like leader or professor just said, "Oh, by the way, like just out of curiosity, what are all the students saying about coronavirus?" And none of us could really answer. No, you don't know it, it, at the okay. moment. Like for me, it hasn't changed anything. I'm still doing the exact same routine as I always do. Yes, you're all going to a bar tonight with with your jungle dress. <laughs> yeah, uh, but nothing's closed. Um, all of lectures and everything is still on. I mean, they're not because of the strikes, but they would be. Nothing has changed. So it almost feels like it's not but that big of a thing. But the more the more it goes on, we have been talking about it more and more and more, and about how it's actually quite scary. The the more because like the mortality rate is actually really high. Yes, compared to other diseases, it's higher than Spanish rate. flu. Yes, it is. It's five percent. Five percent. And um, Spanish flu is three percent, I believe. But what I'm saying is that that as kids, you will all be looking at the internet mm. and. There's a lot. There's a of lot of fear mongering. There's as a well. lot of fear mongering. Of course, there is, and there's a lot of contradictory information. Mm. What worries me is that, of course, you've got a holiday coming up, and it's possible you may not be able to go back to yeah. uni because they may take the opportunity to actually close uni. Mm. I'd re- re- well, that's to, what's happening in Italy, isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. I was in a seminar this morning as well, different professor as well, and she said someone asked. I think they were like, "Oh, do you think you know we'll be coming back or like what happens?" And she said. Oh, at the moment, I'm really not sure. There has been, there have been in talks, like the university has, about how exams will work. If it'll all have to be changed to like open papers rather than exams, so you can do them on on the like on the internet or on the VLE, like the virtual learning environment. Um, or what's the virtual learning environment? That's what it's called, the VLE. It's like where all of the it's just like a website, then, is it? Yeah, yeah, and it's just all of your different modules are on there, and the teachers can um, put up all the documents that you'll need, and you can you sub. It's where you submit assignments and stuff. That'll be maybe something that we'll have to do. Um, but like my exam for that module that she runs is um, an oral exam, a, pres- a presentation in a group, so it can't really be done online. And once you've set the things for a module, it's very difficult to change them. But their main issue that she said they've been talking about is like less than closing the university or anything is um, how to get students back from year abroad. There's loads, like massive numbers of people who are in Spain, Italy, France, who are now stuck out there without a university to go to as well because they've all closed. So I can't imagine how like that would be really, really scary if you were in a foreign country kind of on your own already and then having to self-isolate and not being able to go to university, which like that's really, yeah, 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 it's really scary. One of my flatmates, her boyfriend is Italian and he uh, left just before the the full lockdown or whatever and his mum was going to leave a little bit later he goes to he studies in Edinburgh and his mum was going to leave a little bit later and then the lockdown happened and now she can't come and join him in Edinburgh but she asked him oh like how many checks did you have to go through to get off the plane and did they test you and blah 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 and no one said anything to him about it 
which seems it does seem unreal. very random. The, the, the testing and everything does seem very random. Mm. I heard somebody on the radio saying that uh, you know they've had the symptoms. They think they've had the symptoms mm. of two weeks. They dialed one 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 to try and get the test, and two weeks later they've still not got the test. Yeah. Or ten days, eleven days later, still not got the test. Mm. And then yeah, I was saying like this morning, I was like, I've got a bit of a cough, and it's probably just I've been at uni for ten weeks. It's mm. You know, I don't get enough sleep or eat enough, like, right, probably, and that's just, you know, you get a little bit ill. But Are you not eating? <laughs> How many times have I told you about eating? What, what are you eating? Well, no, I, I do eat well and stuff, but I'm sure I don't eat as, you know, as well as you, some people should. No. And I probably, like, drink too much and don't get enough sleep, all of those things. Well, I've brought you something for you too. Yes. <laughs> is, is the food in the canteen or the cafeteria still Some, not great? Sometimes it's really bad. Like last night, it wasn't that bad. It was vegan schnitzel, which was just basically a, like corn. Um, and then they had a Thai fish cake, which looked uh, like good as well, which they've done before. There's like wedges. It's not particularly like nutritional, and the veg is horrid. Well, like, you, honestly, you, don't like, you don't eat no, no, no. veg anyway. I do. Well, a bit of stir fry with a good sauce on it and everything. No, I'll, I'll eat veg. Like eating, like eating sweets. I'll eat veg, but that it's it's bad, bad. It's like mushy cabbage. It's just always so bad. Mm. Anyway, easily could just be a little bit of a cold. Mm. But I did think this morning, like you're over 65. Yes. You know? I am. Potentially, should I even be, you know, should I be coming... Over. That you might be passing yeah, the coronavirus. Yeah, well, very easy. Like, the coronavirus anyway, like, I was reading about it, and the coronavirus is basically just the common cold. It's this COVID-19 strand that's this bad one. I think it's way more scary than I thought it was. Initially, I thought, oh, it's just this swine flu thing. There's yeah, always so well. mass eruption of people saying that they're really worried about it. And also, I think, kind of, people like to be a bit like, oh, it's dr- dramatic, it's exciting, whatever. But I think now it's getting to the point where people are actually like... Yes, I mean, initially, you, initially you could um, make jokes about it if you like, because the only people who were dying were foreign but now we're getting people in the UK dying. It's not a joke anymore. Only joking about the foreigners, of course. Of course, obviously. obviously. You realise that. Well, you've got to have to, if you joke these days, you really do have to point out that it is only a joke. That's such a gammon thing to yeah, say. I know, I know. If it's funny... People will laugh, and no, then you'll no, know it's a jerk. No, not if it's... Uh, you ask any comedian, you ask any comedian if the atmosphere has slightly changed these days from what it was even five, ten years ago, and uh, I think they'll tell you it has. Um, speaking of snowflakes, there's a story in the papers this week very encouraging for those uh, of us from the Gannon generation mm. who are fathers of snowflakes, like myself. And that is that you... Are, well, I'll read you the headline. This was in the Times. It said, Snowflakes, Generation Z, are icily determined job hunters. Nice use of the word icily there. Are you icily determined, would you say? You don't seem that icy <laughs> to me. I don't... Um... I'm not a massively determined person in any way. I've got your your genes, I'd oh, say, right, there. Right. You know what you said? I was, like, maybe um, ca- maybe 12 or something, and I said, oh, God, like, what's your biggest wisdom or whatever? And you said something about just, like, just do the bare minimum to get by, <laughs> always. <laughs> yeah, well, and I've um, taken that through with me. Well done. I'd, well, I'd rather you'd have been more icily determined. But apparently your generation is. Uh, this is a study that's been done by uh, somebody or other. It says that uh, there's a steely-eyed pragmatism. So not just icy, but steely-eyed. We are more pragmatic than um, 
like millennials. That's, yes, that's exactly what it says. Yeah. The comparison is between Gen Z, yourself, and millennials, your mm. uh, three siblings. It says, studies revealed the pragmatism behind Generation Z, approximately those born between 1995 and 2012, because people are still confused what's mm. Generation Z and what's uh, Generation X, Generation Y and all that. Particularly when compared with the generation that preceded you, that's the millennials, Generation Z are looking for post-graduation jobs more than any group of young people has before them, with 60% of recent graduates securing employment before leaving university. Mm. I mean, you'd rather like to have a job lined up before leaving yeah, university. Yeah, definitely. I think that's what everyone would want. Yeah. Because um, if not, you fall into a thing of... You, yes. you don't know what you're doing. You don't know and what you're doing. That's true. It's just a massive like ch- shift, isn't it? As well, like mm. I'm already thinking about like um, having finished, um, well, almost finished my first year, and it goes, it has gone in like the blink of an eye. That I've only really got to do this like three more times. One of those, I'm abroad for a year. That'll go probably even quicker. What do I do at the end of it? Because mm. it's going from such a structured thing where you know exactly who you are, you're a student, you do, you know exactly what you're doing, to then being thrown out. It's yeah. actually, I think that transition is probably even more difficult than between school and university. Yeah, well, more than 30% found a job before their final year of university. That's more than 30% of uh, you people. While 27% were successful during their final year. Fewer than half of millennials got work before graduating. So your siblings weren't and I'm just trying to think back I know Anna your oldest sister she did a ski season didn't she yeah uh, but that was later that was quite a bit later she worked she left a job and then yeah yeah she did a lot of different jobs she worked for stagecoach and artists which are all like theatre companies and stuff and then did that later on but yeah but she also worked for like in Debenhams and stuff which I think is what a lot of people did Mm. Uh, the survey's been done by somebody called Milk Round the student recruiter so I suppose they've got a sort of stake in trying to get publicity Mm. for what they do that's the problem with these surveys you can never quite trust the accuracy of them Um, it also found that 27% of young people began their job search in their second year which is more than double that of millenniums uh, millennials uh, (laughs) which is more than uh, double that of millennials, 15% started in their first year. Can you imagine looking for a I job cannot, now? I cannot imagine it. I also have absolutely no idea what I want to do. No. I guess maybe it's different if you're in a really like practical or like vocational course. My course doesn't really directly lead, I guess, like diplomatic work is what some people do, or translation work, but... Or media. Media, yeah, I suppose. But it's not like um, if you do nursing, then you become a nurse. You know, no, I know what you mean. It's not. It's not the same. It's not maybe, focused like that. It's a maybe, shame, maybe, really. Don't you, you don't know anyone in the media who could perhaps point you in the right. There's some quotes here from somebody who did that starting their first year. Georgie Kemp, 23, a search engine optimization. <laughs> this is this is what her job is. She's Georgie Kemp. She's 23. She's a search engine optimization executive. See, at, this is the thing. Like. There are so many jobs that you just have never even heard of. Like, I wouldn't know where to begin looking. No, she's a search engine... I get search engine optimization Executive. It doesn't sound that executive. Anyway, she is an executive. She studied marketing at Nottingham Trent University and started a job search early. And there were lots of quotes. So they've sort of put her up to do the quotes and all that. She's, a lot of people said that first year of uni doesn't count. I knew it did, she said. I was going to a lot of networking events on my own. I hope so, it doesn't. I've not been to a single one. <laughs> no. What is it? Uh, what a networking they, they put that? Yeah, le- less for my course again. They do a lot of networking events where it's like meet, meet people in 
the industry of whatever and but blah blah there's blah. There's no industry of, of languages, but mm, they. I think they have done some. I don't know. I don't really don't know what it would be. You do it a lot if you do law. If yeah, if you do law, you go to them a lot, and you have to go from your first year because if not, you won't get a place at like a law firm. I was reading some some stuff and there was an article in the BBC News that was talking about using dog walking to improve mental health at universities. So, Oh, so they bring in dogs for you to walk? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Luke Davies... Because you, you couldn't have a dog in your... No, no, no. Um, Luke Davies, who is the secretary of the Sussex Uni Dog Walking Society, says the dogs just give you the love that you feel like you crave while you're at university... And the society's members have said interacting with the 45 dogs they have, um, which are a lot of dogs, actually, mm. a lot of dogs, uh, help their mental health and stress related to their work. They also have today, I think it's on, uh, R&R, which is, is that rest and relaxation? Rest and recreation, I think. Yeah, or right. whatever. Dog walking, um, mm. like event thing at, the, at, at York. They also had like a dog, like a come in and pet the dogs thing at the uni as well. R&R is uh, rest and recreation, which is what uh, the American soldiers in Vietnam used to, used to go to some nearby country, I don't know, Korea, Japan or something, for rest and recreation because it was considered the pressures of the Vietnam War were so great they needed R&R. Are we now saying that the pressures of being <laughs> at university are so Why, was that where it's first kind? It's, well, it was. It's, it's for soldiers because of the pressures and stresses of war. Ah. They need uh, R&R. But uni, much like war. <laughs> we're not um, saying York Uni is a war zone. <laughs> but anyway, they do do it at a lot of different universities, like dog, like bringing in dogs, bringing dogs for mental health. Soothe stress. Yeah. yeah, but I just think it is maybe the worst. Uh, not because I love dogs as much as the next person, but it just feels very much like a university putting a plaster over mental health issues and not providing actual mental health services, but rather just saying. Oh, I hope this makes you feel a bit better. But don't, well, don't like they... it's not really dealing with any of the underlying issues. But don't they have departments that do? They do, they... but they're massively don't... underfunded and understaffed. And so, as far as pastoral care goes, if you were feeling a bit wobbly, where would you go for pastoral care at uh, your uni? There must be a department. There's probably open door is a thing that's um, their counsellors that you can talk to and stuff. And I, I do think that is true, but it's also, I think, one of the massive problems is in terms of like university dealing with mental health is that it's all um, reactionary. You've got a problem, here's someone to talk to, or like... You you feeling stressed? Here's some, but why? Like why have so many so many more students got mental health problems? Like I think they need to go back to like the cause of it and not just deal with people's symptoms afterwards. It's a stressful business. Yeah, it's a it stressful is. Business. You know, but I just think that it shouldn't get to the point where you. Well, it shouldn't, but when you think of what we were talking about just a moment ago uh, about people looking for jobs in their first year at university, mm. you can you can feel... I mean, I know you're not doing that, and a lot of people wouldn't do that and would consider it to be extreme, but you can feel the, the, the pressure there. That You know, when I was at university, I only did one year, but when I was at university, nobody in the first year was worried that we wouldn't... I mean, it's partly it's a financial thing, isn't it, with the fees and everything, mm. but nobody in the first year was worried what am I going to do after uni you'd at least settle down for a year at uni first yeah. so you can see where the stress arises from but you can't see that it's 
place within the university's power to actually do anything about that. That's life, isn't it? That's stress. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so maybe not the university's power, but it seems like a lot of the mental health facilities are just kind of taping over the stuff Mm -hmm. rather than actually dealing with any of it in any... Mainly because there's not the time or the money. I think that's what it comes down to. That's precisely it. It's much cheaper to get a few dogs in than it is to... But the dogs may help. But the dogs. Yeah, yeah. I think no. I think I mean, do, like dog therapy is a massive brink of, thing. If you're on the brink of suicide, probably stroking a dog's not going to help that much. But if you just feel you like a bit of soothing relaxation, mm. I think the dogs. Yeah, will yeah, help. yeah. I, no, I think that's absolutely true. I think that it's a great thing. That? Are you going to go for... and stroke some dogs? <laughs> I'm not there. I'm here instead. Just putting myself in a, another highly pressured situation rather than stroking dogs. Well, I'm sorry but, for talking to me, it's so highly pressured. <laughs> I do think that it's great, but I don't think it improves mental health. I think it's a nice thing for people to de-stress, but I think the idea that dog walking improves... I mean, improves your mental health, I guess, in some sense, because it makes you de-stress. But yes, I think if your you... mental health is like... If you've got poor mental health, I don't think that stroking a dog is the answer i also think we use the term mental health problems way too lean like laxly lightly lightly or like anxiety or whatever like no you just feel a bit anxious you just feel a bit stressed and then i think it undermines when people do genuinely have mental health problems I've been slightly worried lately, Ruth, because I I post this up on uh, Twitter and Facebook and I'm always looking for pictures that, you know, things that we've been talking about. And because we've been talking about, you know, when we first started doing it, we would talk about the Kardashians or Love Island, things that are easily illustrated. Mm. We don't actually, you know, we talk about more, slightly more interesting issues in, you know, the way universities... More interesting than the Kardashians. <laughs> well, more interesting than the Kardashians. So I just wondered if you if you follow any of these, because you, know, you suddenly stop watching TV. Are you watching anything on TV or streaming? Um, what are you streaming at the moment? Not much, really. I don't really, honestly do not watch that much TV, but what me and a couple of my flatmates did get obsessed about was Love is Blind. Have you heard of this? No, I haven't. What's, what's I can't believe you've not heard of this. It's on Netflix. Mm. It must be just a generational thing because you honestly would have had to be hiding under a rock to have not heard of it, uh, like, really? for me. Well, yeah. I go onto Netflix quite often and it, I suppose it puts... Because I go on under my sign-in, it will put on stuff... Because I watch sports documentaries mm. quite a lot, so it puts on you know the programme about the Philadelphia Eagles, yeah. which you're probably not watching. No, I um, like the sports... I watch a lot of the sports programs. They get recommended for me because I love a sports drama. Oh, yeah, these yeah. are documentaries. These, yeah, yeah, not a documentary, but yeah. sometimes it so gets confused, get, yeah, you know? I don't get Love is Blind. I get Hunters comes up there a lot and The Crown and things like mm. that, but I don't get Love so is Blind. So Love is Blind is a new reality TV show that they made. I think it's probably just for Netflix, and it's an American one, and they have to date for a while in these like pod things where you don't get to see the other person and then you have to propose to them without having seen them and then you get to see them so it answers the question is love truly blind or whatever but obviously it's american so they were all very attractive um, <laughs> same age same build all thin i don't think it really answers the question of is love blind but honestly if you want to get the clearest view of how Americans are so different to British people. You have to watch this programme because it's like two days in, they've been on like two dates and chatted for 40 minutes and they're already saying I love you. 
like they're saying they're like crying to each other and saying I love you across the pods and you just cannot the program it's one of those things that just wouldn't work with British people and then they get engaged and it was all wild and then they have to do this the end of the so program so are they saying I love you without having seen each yeah, other yeah 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 and they get engaged without having seen each other as well they propose and then um, what are the pods what are these oh pods? they're just like they're just like little rooms where there's like it's just a box and then there's like a almost like a mirror type thing which uh, the oh, other like per- the person mirror. is oh, no no no, no, no. and the person is like sat on the other side it's not a mirror it's like a door kind of thing but it's not you can't go through it or anything then you just can't see the other person and they're in the pod like the finale of it is they all get ma- they get married and they walk down the aisle and then they choose whether to say i do or i don't and so some of them say i do and then they're like and will you take him or whatever and then they're like I don't. And then there was a girl and she ran out of the wedding and she was running down a dirt track in her wedding dress. It was really great, excellent yeah. TV. I love, it sounds brilliant. I love it's the way about a year later and two of the couples, Cameron and Lauren and Barnett and Amber, are still together. And Giannina and Damien, I think, they said I don't in the wedding. Oh, well, he said I don't, she said I do. Sorry, spoilers. But I doubt any of you are going to watch it. It's probably not the demographic, really. And they s- split up or whatever, and then they got back together, and now they're still together. Right. So in a way, it's uh, quite an interesting sociological experiment. That's what they... They always... These reality TV things, they always call it a social experiment to give it legitimacy. But they also, they could call it a bit of an ethnographic experiment, if you like, because a lot of Pakistanis, a lot of people from South Asia, they do have arranged marriages. Arranged marriages mm. are still quite a thing, you know? Uh, yeah, and, and that's I think the same actually, sort of thing, isn't it? Because they mm, get married without seeing each other sometimes. Kind of, yeah. yeah. I think arranged marriages actually can work oh, in so many ways yeah and and in a lot of ways I think they're actually probably better than normal marriages Mm -hmm. because I think if you don't have that instant in fact in like infatuation like sparks or whatever then actually what you do is just grow to love each other over a, a longer period of time because of like proximity and stuff one of the reasons why they so often don't end in divorce is obviously because of the cultures that they happen in like divorce is more of a taboo mm-hmm. but I think there probably is also something to be said of they make healthy marriages well I'm glad you approve of arranged marriage because I'd like you to meet Dean <laughs> I've, been, I've been corresponding with him on the internet and he's just waiting outside, outside. no I obviously don't I can and I've, I, I'm like massively sexist in many cultures and blah 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 like there's there's a whole host of reasons why they're bad but i just think there is something to be said for marriages they're already like an economic and practical like proposition why not add in the fact like you don't Mm. have chemistry with them that probably it that kind of is I think marriage... What what you're saying is chemistry is overrated. And many, many years ago, when I first started out in journalism, uh, I did an interview with somebody uh, who was in an arranged marriage, Mm. which in those days, you know, there wasn't much about it in the papers. I'm talking about early 70s now. And uh, I interviewed someone and they said, ah, yes, in your culture, you marry the one you love. In our culture, we love the one we marry. Mm. And it was almost exactly what you were saying. I hugely think that, like, marriage is way less romantic than is assumed. Hmm. Well, I hope you haven't just picked all this up from home. Is that... Uh, <laughs> I don't know whether that's quite, like, a pessimistic view to take of it. Well, maybe realistic. But, maybe one yeah. of these icily, whatever it was before, icily determined um, Generation Z's. Hold <laughs> up. 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Should have some music? Yes, absolutely. Uh, we'll start with mine. It's somebody called Iris Dement. Uh, have you heard of Iris Dement? Um, no. Well, in that case, I think you'll really enjoy this. Go on now and say goodbye to our town, to our town. Can't you see the sun setting down on our town, on our town? Good night. Up the street beside the red neon light, that's where I met my baby. Uh, there you go, Iris Dement. I, yeah, I love it. I it's th- got a lot of the Dolly Partons about well, it. Well, I thought, as you said, you were Dolly Parton's number one fan. On, <laughs> was he number one or number two? Uh, no, it's in the top one percent of Dolly Parton fans. On uh, Spotify, I thought you'd enjoy that because I was thinking to myself, oh, I must find a really, really great country song. And I used to play that. It came out round about the early nineties or late eighties. Oh, really? To late eighties. But it sounds yeah. older. Mm. Well, I'll tell you a bit about it. But it came out then, and I played it on the radio. I heck of a lot. In fact, you got into trouble for playing it all the time on the radio. Why do you keep playing that record? And I said, well, I absolutely love it. It's very sort of melancholic. Mm. She talks about, you know, this town. She's obviously in some one-horse American town, uh, and she talks about it being, you know, the lights going out in our town, that sort of thing. You'll have to look it up on Spotify and put it on your list, because it's such a great record. I'll tell you a bit about her. Iris Luella Dement, an American two-time Grammy-nominated singer and songwriter, she was born in Paragould, Arkansas, so, you know, authentic. The 14th and youngest child. Wow. Yeah, 14th. <laughs> a lot. Yeah, and youngest child of Pat Dement and uh, wife Flora May. 
Iris's mother had harboured dreams of going to Nashville and starting a singing career, uh, although she put those plans on hold to get married and obviously having the 14 oh, kids. Sad, uh, her singing voice was an inspiration and influence for her youngest daughter, Iris. She was raised in a Pentecostal household, so, you know, very mm. religious. Family moved from Arkansas to the Los Angeles area when she was three, and she was inspired to write her first song, which was that, Our mm. Town, by a drive through a boarded-up Midwest town at the age of 25. And uh, that was a hit, and she's had several hits since and performed together with Emmylou Harris, who I think we mm, played, yeah. you know, Emmylou, we know all about Emmylou. Yeah. <laughs> so put that on your list, you'll love it. Yeah, I do really enjoyed that one. And for me, I've got a song called Where Does the Good Go by Tegan and Sarah. Look me in the eye and tell me you don't find me attractive. Look me in the heart and tell me you won't go. Look me in the eye and promise no love's like I love. Look me in the heart and unbreakable. I won't happen to see. So um, you asked me before if I'd been watching any TV. Mm. The answer to which is basically no the only thing that i do watch when because it's i find it so incredibly comforting is Grey's anatomy i watch that on, on your amazon um and <laughs> so you're, you're ordering leopard skin ears and watching uh, programs on amazon um, yeah, but I'm glad the, amazon prime's working for <laughs> Grey's anatomy is probably the only thing that i've like just i like don't even binge watch it really i just watch half an episode every so often or whatever uh, but then i stopped watching it because it jumps the shark a bit it's one of those programs that it starts off and it's very much like mm. a drama really good and stuff and then descends into a soap opera which they often do these yeah, things they do. it's too there's too many i mean the thing so, is, yeah they should have stopped it so precisely. basically this song plays too many seasons yeah it's <clears throat> season 10 or something which is exactly where it should have stopped um christina and meredith who are the two main characters who are great uh, sandra er plays Christina mm. and she's honestly great in it because also some of the people are not as good so you can very much tell that she's a good actor. That's from Killing Eve. From Killing Eve yeah and anyway this song they like dance it out or whatever and then this song is the song that plays and I just um I really like it actually as well as a song and it reminds me of the program which in turn makes me feel calm. Good. Good. So it's sort of your equivalent of stroking dogs watching yeah. Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> Now, uh, looking at the emails, John Ryder wrote to us. Now, as far as this podcast goes, our organisation, if we can call it that, did say, you know, it should be more about uni, which I think mm. we've done. So there's a bit about uni, there's a bit about issues, and there's a bit about um, me being an empty nester now and all that sort of stuff. But if we're looking at university issues, this is, I don't think there's anything we can particularly have an opinion on, but I'll tell you what John Ryder has said. Mm-hmm. He says, I'd like to raise an issue, dear Martin and Ruth, uh, that I feel will be of benefit to your parent and student listening audience alike. I'm speaking from personal experience and will keep this brief as the full story and facts could take up your entire podcast time. My son, having gained his BA with merit at UEA, so that's University of East Anglia, mm-hmm. uh, then applied to do his MA there the following intake. When applying, he had all the required academic parameters and more in place, including funding and accommodation, and 
and an exemplary campus record. The admissions department, for reasons not given, turned down his MA application. My son and I challenged their decision uh, and asked what grounds. Then they relented and accepted the said application. On the September start, his course group consisted of 36 students, of which 33 were international students. My son went on to successfully graduate a year later with a master's MA. The questions I wish to ask and bring into the open, I don't think you'll be able to have a view, but I'll tell you anyway. He says, the questions I wish to ask and bring into the open are, uh, are our universities overloading admissions with international students to the detriment of UK students because of the far higher fees the universities can bank from international students? I suspect the answer is yes. That's he suspects the answer is yes. I'm not asking this through any malice or rancour, but simply to make aware to UK students and parents alike that if they are refused a master's course admission by a uni, challenge it. We just challenge it in uppercase. He says, love your talks, Martin Ruth, and all aspects of the show. Magic, he says. Best regards, Johnny, a fellow dad. So... I think it, they do. Yeah. It's I, a business. I, it, it, it's a business, isn't why it? Why take nine grand when you can have, like, 30 or whatever international... Like, some yeah. certain international students, depending on the country, pay... So it's something that you... They, they do it in Scotland. They fill the quota of Scottish students that they have to take and then they take English students because they can charge the 9,000 to them and the Scottish right. fees are much lower. And so they just fill the quota and then everyone else, they go for the English students. Yeah. It's bad and I think it's wrong, but it seems common sense that they would do that. And the only other... Fair comment. And the only other email we got... Bit low on the emails. Yeah, low week. on the emails. But whenever we say that, we get low. <laughs> uh, Michael Edson uh, was talking about clickbait. This will mean nothing to you, so uh, this is one for me, I think. It says In 1971, I was driving home and saw a Derby Evening Telegraph billboard shouting, Rams sign England striker. Rams being uh, Derby County. Mm. Who could it be? He says, Would it be uh, Jeff Hurst? Martin Shivers? No, it was Frank Wignall, who played twice for England in 1964. But he did all right, though, big Frank. And he said, hope the irons stay up. And that's from uh, Mike. I literally so did a, not understand any of that. It could have been a foreign language. Yeah. Yes. And in fact, it would have been better if it had been a foreign language. Yeah. Because, of course, you're studying foreign languages. This is one that I think we can say you heard it first right here on the podcast. Be- wow. Yes. That does not happen often. No. Well, Suzanne Moore. You remember I told you about the column that Suzanne Moore wrote uh, in support yes. of the um, oh. Professor Selina Todd. Yeah, yeah, who um, went she to speak no at a woman-only place. Yeah, yeah, she was non-platformed. And she was only non-platformed because she'd uh, also spoken to a meeting of Woman's Place UK, mm. which at Oxford University they considered that to be... Transphobic. A transphobic organisation. Well, now The Guardian has got itself into a real... Uh, pickle. Pickle. The Guardian's <laughs> got itself into a real pickle. There are 300-odd people who've signed a petition saying that they, you know, they don't want to work with Suzanne Moore because of this transphobic, as they so see wait, it. So, wait, sorry. So, Suzanne Moore... They don't want to work with Suzanne Moore. Suzanne Moore is the one who said it's ridiculous that she's not being allowed to speak at the panel. Yes. Okay, sorry, I just was getting everything straight in my head. Yes, they're they're no platforming Suzanne Moore now after she complained about the no platforming or what you call the cancel culture, don't you? Mm. Yeah. I think cancel culture is a really great 
phrase. It's a great phrase, cancel culture, and, and this would this would cover it. The, I mean, the pickle that the Guardian's in is the Guardian is uh, a left wing newspaper, mm. liberal, woke, and all that, and is generally a supporter of feminism. Suzanne Moore is uh, a very very staunch feminist over the years, and she says these arguments about being transphobic are diverting attention from the real enemy. Is the way she puts patriarchy. it. Patriarchy. Uh, yeah, the patriarchy. You know. Yes, yeah. gammons as well. It's not. It's not gammons though. The patriarchy is not. It's not men and it's not older people, older men, or anything like that. The patriarchy is. It's not any particular person. Like the the world would be better for everyone if the patriarchy didn't exist. I suspect that's her view uh, as well. Melanie Phillips has written a column about this in the Times. Now Melanie Phillips is uh, anathema to most people who are feminists and woke. She, when she's on Question Time, she gets a lot of uh, hurt. But she makes a good point in that uh, you know when you she she goes back to the French Revolution and says in the 18th century the French Jacobins started by guillotining chopping their heads off uh, enemies of the revolution, but then decided that certain revolutionaries were themselves enemies of the revolution. And this well, you've done Russian history and everything. Mm, yeah, I was just going to say, do, yeah, it does seem you so be, much of Russia. It does seem to be a pattern. Uh, I've never studied the French Revolution, so no, I neither. Can't, no. My, my um, knowledge of the French Revolution is limited mostly to layman's, I'm not going to lie. But really, you know, it is, it is ludicrous. I know little about the French Revolution, but when we're looking at cultural references, I do know a lot about Monty Python and Life of, <laughs> and Life of Brian. And they do this little bit of brilliant satire in there where some bloke says he's from the Judean People's Front, you know, they're fighting against the Romans. And the one says, oh, Judean People's Front? I'm a member of the People's Front of Judea. Don't talk to me about mm. the Judea. You know what I mean? Yeah. And this, these splits in revolutionary You actually, yeah, you want the same things and... Precisely. That's it. And you have these ridiculous uh, arguments, which mm. I see this trans. You talk, yeah, you, you talk more and more, and about less and less, and then, yeah, there, there's a quote that's like, um, we'll learn more and more about less and less until we know everything about nothing. I was reading another article and it was just talking about how the soft bigotry of teachers in state schools um, and low expectations is stopping poor pupils going to university. So and they're bigoted against poorer... Poor students. So they yeah. just tell them, oh, I'm not sure you should go to university, I'm not sure you should do this, blah, blah, blah. And then they just end up not going because there still is a massive disparity in like state schools and, uh, and poorer state schools. Not state schools massively, but it is working class backgrounds or low income backgrounds where they actually don't end up going to university. And I just thought it was really interesting because I hadn't thought that that would still happen. I thought very much so like teachers will push students mm. to go to university because that was my experience. I went to like a very academic school and it was almost, I think, the opposite in that it was too much. You have to you go to university. Yeah. But I just hadn't thought that that would even happen anymore. But clearly it is. Like there was a research study into it and stuff. Yeah. It's interesting because in 1969, the film Kes came out. Mm. Uh, you've probably read the book, Barry Hines. I've read the book, seen the, seen the film, the oh, you've seen the film, you've yeah. seen the play. So you know what it's all about. Yeah. And that Colin Welland, who's the teacher there, that's exactly, exactly yeah. the attitude. Actually, I thought it was a 60s thing. Yes, Colin Welland and also, well, it was 69, the film came mm. out. Colin Welland, he was one of the teachers in CARES, and the idea was yeah. when, they, when they spoke to uh, kids, 
Uh, literally, they, were, they expect him to go down the pits. To yeah. be, they expect him to be miners, didn't they? And you would have thought, well, especially there's no mining industry anymore, but mm. you would have thought that sort of attitude had uh, Died changed. Out. Where, this is a report, is it? Yeah, it was in. I read it on BBC News. Do you want Do you, to know something funny? I do want to know something funny. So I've started reading the tab. The tab is the un, like university newspaper that is like for, across all universities, and it's written by students, but it's all about like night like uh, students as well. And then the um, there's like a local version. So there's like a York student right. York the tab, which I was in this week. Yes, I saw your picture. Yeah, I got. Uh, it was like best jump it was just me and one of my friends jumping outside a nightclub but they like post the best of the pictures they'll do like best photo bomb would that have gone national blah, blah, blah. or was it be just no that's uh, just under the, the york tab it's not the <laughs> overall i thought you tab. were world famous you no just... i'm just york it's just the york tab but anyway there was a lot of jokes of uh, we were saying oh we're beanox now i've told you the term beanox before you have but i've forgotten uh, well in case you yeah if you don't if you don't remember or you didn't listen to that one it was it's Big name on campus. Big name on campus. You're a beanock. Brilliant. <laughs> but I'm I'm very much not. But oh, there was a lot of jokes about that. But the tab, well, I assume they do it in all the different ones. But the York tab is the one I've read. Are having beanock awards, oh. so you can nominate people, your friends who you think are actual beanocks and whatever, and then you read the articles and then you convert for who you think is the biggest beanock, and then there'll be the ultimate thing, which is like you are the biggest the the beanock of the knocks. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's really quite funny if you if you well, fancy a read through. Are you being nominated? <laughs> Absolutely not. You have to be like known by everyone. Like you do see these things and you're like, oh, oh yeah, I do recognise them. And then well, you're doing a hit, a hit award nominated. <laughs> do you not? Uh... <laughs> no, no, not quite, not quite. That's a shame. Um, but I yeah, would, they would, are would, very campaign, funny. I would campaign for you to be <laughs> the beanock of the beanocks. Corona. <laughs> I'll probably stay here. <laughs> so, Ruth, you've uh, amused us greatly in this uh, podcast, but do you Good. have anything specifically to amuse us Yes. With? So, your crush, this was my favourite one. It's not that funny, really. AP, keep seeing you get tagged in mini-egg posts. If you give me another chance, I'd buy all the mini-eggs in co-op. What are the mini-eggs posts? Like memes or like Facebook, like internet posts right. about mini-eggs. About mini-eggs. It's yeah. posts about mini-eggs. Uh, right, well, that's mildly amusing. What, what else do you have? Uh, I do have a Yorfest, but it's um, a, a Yorfession. Yeah. But it's got a picture in it, so I'll just describe it. It's a picture from the thick of it with a quote, but anyway, that someone and someone else has captioned it. It says, when you fail kitchen cleaning because one of your housemates forgot to take out the bins, you're like that coffee machine, you know, from bean to cup, you F up. <laughs> that's mildly amusing. Uh, yeah, that's what I thought mild. You know, what more can you go for than mildly, mildly amusing? Well, you also, whenever I come out with a real, absolute brilliant joke, you always say it's mildly amusing. So it's no, clearly maybe that's, that's clearly a you problem, standard. not a me problem. <laughs> that's clearly the standard. Any memes or anything? Not really. No. I didn't, I've not found anything funny enough that I thought was necessary to share. Right, bless you. So we'll yeah, keep, yeah we'll no memes. Keep looking. I will keep do. Keep looking, definitely. And uh, we'll, we'll be doing it again next week. Yes. And thank you for listening. Oh, we'll be back next week. And um, if you want to listen to the songs from this week in full, then you can go over to Spotify and just type in Ruthie and Martin, Martin, Ruthie, me and my dad, Ruthie, uni dad and me, anything. You'll find the Spotify playlist where you can listen to these songs in full and the songs from all the other weeks. 
Um, and also email us at yes, email us. Martin and Ruth Podcast at gmail.com. That's Martin and Ruth Podcast at gmail.com. So thank you for listening and see you next week. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.